we have these crossroads. And you know, either way you choose, your life is going to be different. The universe doesn't exist, but God thinks it does. We have to stop consuming our culture. We have to create culture. Stupidity has a definite evolutionary function. I am all for abolishing stupidity, but before it goes, we should pay tribute to it. Hello, friends, and welcome to the Nonsense Bazaar. We're your hosts. I'm Sequoia Kennedy. And I'm Willow Truman. How are you today, Willow? I am good. I am robot. I'm going to, I'll just believe you. Yeah. Yeah. Better than last week, which is the episode you'll hear next week. Right. It's <laughs> fucking confusing. Yeah, yeah. We, um, we're, we're all, all mixed up. We're, we're all mixed up over here. Hey, I'm sure you can understand. I'm sure you can sympathize. Yeah. You know? We're doing a, a couple episodes. It's not really a series. We're going to do a couple episodes on the Fae. A hodgepodge. A hodgepodge. Yeah. Because some people devote their entire careers to like writing about the Fae. I'm not going to be so arrogant to think that we could just cover the Fae Mm-mm. in two episodes. Mm-mm. That's not That's not going to happen. Yeah, no. No. There'd be a lot of hubris in that and the Fae don't like that. Uh-uh. Yeah. So we're just going to do a couple episodes about them because, I don't know, we've both been really interested in the Fae lately, like independently. Mm-hmm. I think probably because I just want to go get lost in the woods. Right. Yeah. You know. Good time of year for that. Yeah, it, it really is. And sometimes, like, reality's a lot. Sometimes you just want to go tiptoe around fairyland for a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty as hell. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So today. Don't uh, eat the cake. Definitely don't eat the cake. Yeah. Don't eat fucking anything. Well, we're going to get into today some uh, quirks of fairy world. Today, we're going to talk about a very strange, very old book. One of the first studies of fairies and fairy folklore called The Secret Commonwealth of Elves, Fawns, and Fairies. It's a weird book, and the whole story behind it is weird in and of itself. And I'm pretty excited. This is... Yeah, me too. Yeah. We, I don't know this. I don't I don't know about this. A lot of really old-ass books are really hard to get through. Mm-hmm. Kind of why I avoid reading them. They're not usually worth it. Yeah. To be perfectly honest. This one was worth it, even though it was one of the harder ones to get through. Which is why I think a lot of people haven't actually read it because it sucks to read. But it's mm-hmm. worth it. It sucks to read. I feel like language got better over time. Yeah. Like it's kind of, what are you guys even doing? You know? Right. We have some fun words these days. We do. We have a lot of words. Yeah. Epic. I hate it. No. <laughs> <laughs> Epic fail. Is that, that, that is the most overused word. I yeah, think it had just might be. criminally overused. Right. It really had its moment. Yeah. I'm bringing it back. You can never left. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, it never yeah. left. Extreme. You can bring back extreme with an X. Yeah. Yeah. Extreme. X, X, extreme. But before we get into the weirdness of fairies, let's do a terrible. Okay. Knight of Wands. Sexy. Which is, this is the, uh, I'm using the Thoth deck, so that would be the King of Wands in the Rider Waite Smith mm-hmm. deck. Very different cards, very confusing. Fire, the fiery aspect of fire. Super fiery. Super fiery. Yeah. Can, you know, sometimes the court cards refer to people. I think it's, it's probably sometimes true, though, although it's not a rule I, I go by, mm-hmm. you know. But interesting. Uh, the Thoth deck depicts a 
a fiery man on a fiery steed with a fiery wand in place of a sword on it's his. It's super. Fi- it's X his, X extreme fire. His cape is fire. There's fire everywhere. The horse is burning. He's burning. It's ridiculous. Yep. Yeah. He doesn't know where the fuck he's going. He's just going for it. Yeah, just yeah. riding through the flames. Hell yeah. That's a. I can see it. So, the Fae, a.k.a. fairies, the good folk, the good neighbors, those slippery pieces of shit that stole your car keys again. Yeah. They've been a- still my damn fucking drain plug. I had to run to the store. Really? I didn't find one anywhere. I had to go what to the, the why'd they store. Why'd they steal the drain plug? You know. It's a weird thing to steal. I'm sure, they, but, I'm sure it was them. Who else would it be? Who else? No one else wants that dirty old drain plug. Like from your like bathtub or like the pool? Oh, for the pool. <laughs> oh, that's not nearly as gross. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually, it's quite grosser. There's a lot of dead mice in, in that. Okay. In there. Anyway. Are these weird, gross fuckers? <laughs> I don't the Fae have been a staple of folklore for as long as there's been folklore. Uh, and basically every culture has its version of the Fae. I mean, the Fae and fairies, that's the British Isles, right? Or... Europe too, I suppose, but they're mostly associated with Ireland and Scotland. Mm-hmm. Um, but everyone has their own version of it, like the other species, intelligent species that is invisible for some reason, whether it's because they live in a world perpendicular to ours or they're just invisible. Yep. You know, the Jin of the Middle East, even the Kami of Japan, even the demons of ancient Greece, and of course, UFOs and the Euphonauts. Yeah. Yeah. Not that the lore of any of these match up on a one-to-one basis, but... There's overlap. Yeah. And all these things fill the same cultural space. hmm Right? And they do actually look like they're talking about the same damn thing, just with, like, other cultural artifacts. Right. It's just depending on the, the perception yeah. of the person experiencing. It's like there's this one core thing, and then there's a bunch of culture stuff that gets stuck onto it, and that is the... That culture right. shell is the thing that... <laughs> separates it yeah yeah and that core thing is like an invisible world of strange inhabitants which humans can interact with yet cannot reason with a scapegoat for everything from those goddamn missing keys to why your cousin jimmy died suddenly at 35 it wasn't all the cocaine and cheeseburgers it's because he boned a nymph in a glade three days back don't worry if you could ask him he'd tell you it's worth it yeah (laughs) (laughs) he died happy yeah very very happy uh over time, the legends of the Fae have taken on different flavors, from the winged Tinkerbell-ass fairies of the 19th and 20th century to the vengeful and jealous nature spirits of witchcraft in an age of ecological collapse. In Irish mythology, the Fae are the descendants of the, the Tuath Te Danann, the people gods who were driven underground after losing a war and made their way down into the inner earth where they evolved into the invisible Fae. Mm. 
kind of re- the story of the two off day down and actually reminds me a lot of the shaver mystery stories yeah the area and shit because like these underground worlds yeah and coming from a like a a race of mostly people mm-hmm. from somewhere else that had a, a civilization beyond anything of your wildest dreams yeah that got driven underground yeah 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 then evolved and the daros and the taros and the yeah 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 it's it makes a ton of ton of sense that that's don't want to run yeah. into the daros no and there's a lot of fairies you do Ugly not want to want freaks. run into yeah and it makes a lot of sense that all these myths even the shaver mystery like yeah it was published in science fiction but it was some dude's weird thing he had to say mm-hmm. and it makes sense that all of them look similar because they're the myths of the strange not human and not not human entities that have been fucking around since time immemorial yeah you know and it's certainly possible to make the case that the it's the UFO mythos that is the true inheritor of the Fey legacy, more so than the sort of Disney-fied fairies and like oh, absolutely. pure nature spirits. Yeah. The Euphonauts are much, as we're going to see in this episode, the Euphonauts are a much closer analog to the Fey of yore than mm-hmm. any of the other stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, the damn Fey, even they, they, it's like abduction, amorality, yeah. powers beyond comprehension. Yeah. There was one fairy story that I listened to where this group of uh, guys are just walking through the woods. They're on a camping trip. And yeah. then all of a sudden, everything goes quiet. Yeah. All the insects stop, all the birds. There's no sound anymore. And I'm like, that's the fucking Oz effect. Right, right, right. You know, except, oh, wait, this is a fairy story. And then one of the guys in the group goes missing and he shows up seven days later wandering on the side of the road. Yeah. Like without any clothes on and he's confused and doesn't know what happened to him. Yeah, dude. And it's like, okay. Yeah. Okay, this sounds like, and he says he's ta- like taken by the little people at one. Like I'm like, okay, this is this sounds like an alien story, right? It's the same damn thing. Yeah, it's the same damn thing. Now, like that's not a new thing. Like people have been saying that for a long time, right? Right. But yeah, like the power beyond comprehension, the fickle relationship with time—they're hallmarks of both these mm-hmm. these things: alien euphonaut abductions and fey abductions. The damn fey even have a history of putting implants in people and blasting them with magic wands. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> One aspect of the Fey stories that distinguishes them from the Euphonauts is the strong connection between the Fey and the physical location in which they're encountered. But honestly, maybe that's not so different. We think of UFOs as ships flying from place to place, but but places are hotspots. Right. And not just UFOs, but also the uh, like cryptids, you know? Yeah. I feel like that falls in, in line with this too. Absolutely. The yeah. phenomenon of weird shit is intimately connected to place. I Whether mean, it be in the woods or in the sky or in your yeah. in your bedroom and then they take you up to the craft. Yeah. I mean, think about it. Like, despite the frankly astonishing assumption that flying saucers are spaceships from another planet, that's still, I just don't, don't get it. Eh. Whatever. Yeah, um, no, it doesn't, doesn't work out for me either. But if you, if you think about UFO lore, if you're familiar with UFO lore, you're going to think of certain places on Earth, Right. You're going to think of Roswell. Mm-hmm. You're going to think of if, an Area 51. You think of Skinwalker Ranch, the Uintah Basin. You're going to think of Point Pleasant, West Virginia, or the Fourth of Bermuda Triangle, or the fucking um, Bridgewater Triangle. Couldn't yeah. forget the one of the name of the one that's right next to me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's the desert UFOs, the Alaska UFOs, right? They, it it's connected to a place. There's been sightings in every single state too. But they always have a. But yeah, there's. Th- 
there's hot that is spots. that is true because they do see them all over the place right it's, it's interesting has how flavor. there's hot spots yeah west virginia has a flavor mm-hmm. right like it, it's i don't know it's not quite the same the fay are definitely much more connected yeah but well, it's like how in um, like Louisiana has like the lizard man. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. You know, and then there's like the the dog men yeah. of, of other states. And it's, I mean, it makes sense that like a lizard man would be in Louisiana. It's all swampy and stuff. Yeah. Uh, Bridgewater Triangle has a lot of pterodactyls or thunderbirds or something. These uh-huh. big fucking birds, like way too big that fly over. And like a lot of people have seen them. Huh. I've never gone stomping around over there. We should do that sometime. We should. And here's the other the other thing. One of my favorite aspects of ufology is the old school ufologist. Putting on a suit, because why the fuck not? Going out, talking to weirdos, being a goddamn weirdo themselves. You got to wear the suit for credibility. You got to get the scoop. Yeah. You're only going to get the scoop if you're wearing a suit. Right. Otherwise, <laughs> you're just some guy. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, who are you? Nowadays, it's weirder to wear the suit, so I respect it even more. Yeah. I'm going to get a nice one, mm-hmm. like blue and like fancy, like just you know. get one of the T-shirts that has the tuxedo on it. Oh, God. Yeah, that'd those are a, those are. That'd be epic. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, epic win right there, Sequoia. Yeah. Oh, no, fuck that. <laughs> but, you know, the whole like the you it. The old school you follow, just like John Keel tripping over a cow fence and falling face first into the mud at Woody Derenberger's house, literally trying to chase a UFO. Right. I love that. And not that there aren't any of those now. There are. And they're just as cool. And I say old school because most ufologists now are just hanging out on Reddit debating whether or not something is a balloon or an alien spaceship when it's very, very clearly a moth. Yeah. (laughs) But there are some people running around like jackasses doing the Lord's work these days because there always have been. And that brings me to the book I want to talk about today. Oh, boy. There are a lot of books on fairies, like a lot, mostly for yeah. mostly for children or people like Cousin Jimmy trying to fuck a dryad. His bookshelf's mm-hmm. pretty weird. That's the majority of books involving fairies. Toss those aside and you get the folklore and the occult texts. And one of these books stands apart from the others by being exactly the same genre as books like the Mothman Prophecies, except it was written in 1692. It's called The Secret Commonwealth of Elves, Fawns, and Fairies. Written by the Scottish Reverend Robert Kirk in 1692, The Secret Commonwealth is a very short book. Written by a reverend. I like that. Yes. That's interesting. Uh, Books were shorter then and sentences were longer. Yeah. But this is the 1692 version of the Mothman Prophecies. Sort of. Not one-to-one again. Robert Kirk went walking around the Scottish Highlands collecting fae folklore from people, trying to puzzle out just what the heck is going on here while being an open-minded skeptic about it. And the stories in here, too, are, well, they're not your standard wood nymph or green man or pixie. No, we've got doppelgangers, which are basically tulpas. We've got the a lot about the second sight. We have abductions, time dilation, all matter of weirdness. Sweet. Yeah. Cool. Something else that makes The Secret Commonwealth stand out is that the author Robert Kirk died very shortly after writing it at the age of 49 or 51, depending on the source. I'm done. But there are allegations that Robert Kirk didn't actually die, but was instead taken away to fairyland as punishment for revealing their secrets, where he had a, a chance to come back to the land of the living, but it got all fucked up. And we'll get back to that at the end. Oh, boy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some, something about that creeps me out. But Yeah, yeah. It's creepy. Yeah. <laughs> it's a creepy one. <laughs> as far as anyone can tell, the Secret Commonwealth only existed in manuscript form until it was printed for the first time in 1815. 
However, we do know that Robert Kirk was real, and we do know that he did write this manuscript in 1692. There's some questions as to if anything was lost between the original writing and the first printing, but as far as I can tell, the core story and observations have remained roughly intact. Intact enough, as makes no difference. Yeah. As I mentioned, Robert Kirk was a reverend, and in 1692, Europe was deep into the so-called Age of Reason, where a belief in the essential rightness of rational materialism was doing all it could to stamp out silly superstitions. More so than a scholarly survey, the Seeger Commonwealth was an attempt uh, on the part of Reverend Kirk to demonstrate that the invisible, irrational, and divine were not superstitious, but an inescapable reality of the world. Like the others in this tradition, Robert Kirk was doing the work of re-enchantment in an increasingly mechanized world. I like it. Yeah. And he also had a lot to say about why seers and people with the second sight were not evil and weren't cursed by the devil, why it wasn't the devil's Good. Part. Yeah. Robert oh, Kirk seems good. like a very cool dude. A very, very Love cool it. dude. And those of our listeners who have seen the series Hellier should be thinking themselves some thoughts about that. Uh, personally, I would posit that Hellier is a 21st century version of this exact pattern. And there have been, and there will be others as well, no doubt. Interesting thing. In Hellier, the Secret Commonwealth shows up on their lap. Also, it's in an episode titled The Secret Commonwealth, and it happens to feature uh, Nathan Isaac and Kyle Cadell of the, of the excellent Pennyroyal podcast, who are also doing the work of reenchantment in the same tradition as these other fucking weirdos. It's just, it's a, a nice little pattern that shows up throughout yeah. throughout history, like Mothman, Great, Great Barker, and John Keel running around, all these different people like getting cycled mm-hmm. up into the into this thing. Just an interesting thing that makes the timeless relevance of the secret commonwealth, despite how fucking hard it is to read, stand out. So what exactly is in it? Well, I'm glad you asked. No, I'm not. I hate you. (laughs) (laughs) What's in that book there? Oh, I should read. I'm going to read the the title. So I read a lot of books on the Kindle. And um, one fucking really annoying thing that the Kindle Kindle does is if you buy the books uh, legally, you have a limit on how many highlights you can export. I can understand it if the author was like still alive or had been alive any time in the last two hundred like, fucking this, years. This book is from the sixteen sixteen ninety two. Could you cut me some slack? The edition you know? was printed in the late eighteen hundreds. Fuck 1800s. you, Jeff Bezos. Fuck you. <laughs> you yeah. iguana eating fuck. So I had to copy and paste not from my Kindle version. He ate an iguana. Yeah, he's a piece of shit. Yeah. Fuck that guy. I would too if I had the chance. I don't know. I've had alligator. Or crocodile. I've had yeah. crocodile. It's like it's it's fine. Yeah. It's not bad. It's nothing to write home about though. No. But yeah, so I had to take a lot of these like quotes from um the version on sacredtexts.com. And I, I don't know why they did this, but you know how old English has the fucking instead of the S, it has the, the uh, F. Yeah. Yeah. I hate it. Oh and I don't know why this HTML version has that. I didn't even know that character existed. Yeah. HTML. Why would you do that? And they also know. That is pronounced just like an S. Yeah. And but yet the brain doesn't it, read it. So that's that not way. how I'm going to read it either. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the title of this fucking book is Secret Commonwealth or a treaty f- displaying the chief curiosities as they are in you. F- God. Sometime among diverse people of Scotland. No, I'm going to read it right. Yeah, it's it's that's challenge. If just in the title, you, you got to yeah. deal with it. Secret Commonwealth, or a treatise displaying the chief curiosities as they are in use among diverse of the people of Scotland to this day, singularities for the most part peculiar to that nation, 
a subject not heretofore discoursed by any of our writers and yet ventured on in an essay to suppress the impudent and growing atheism of this age and to satisfy the desires of some choice friends. Oh my God. That's the title. Yeah. that's. A- it's like half the book. Yeah. <laughs> do, you, do you remember that? I forget what episode it was from. I think it might have been in the Upton Sinclair one where yeah, yeah, I read yeah. out that incredibly I long that book title. title. That was it took me an entire minute to read it. That was amazing. I love that book. title. <laughs> so Robert Kirk begins with what you would expect. Fae folk like the brownies, like the house fairies that stole your keys again. Yeah. You know, or those damn Girl Scouts trying to sell you cookies. Yeah. Uh, little shits just kick them to the curb. Yeah, I wonder why they're called brownies. The Girl Scouts did it come from? Did they get from dude? This? I you know I, if I had to guess, yeah. it's from this. Maybe like because be. they're the little helpers. Yeah, they help out with, around the house. Right. Yeah, they don't just brownies don't just help out around the house. They they can help if you if they like you, chasing rats away and the like. But it's important to remember that you're not going to be friends with these things. They might like. You. Might be a, a liking, but they'll steal your cow's milk. They'll steal your grain. They'll shit in your cereal. That's not very nice. I mean, man's got to eat. They're putting shrimp in my cinnamon toast crunch. They'll shit in it. Fuck. Shrimp? <laughs> Did you ever <laughs> see that? There's a guy that found a shrimp tail in a cinnamon toast crunch. No. I'm, I'm not sure what the outcome of that was. It's like the only cereal I like. I know. I love cinnamon sucks. <laughs> <laughs> Kirk's fairies are of a curious double nature. They're, they are explicitly described as intelligent, actual individual entities. Uh, entities that are part of a society who are born, live, marry, die, and have funerals. Who live in houses and who have workshops under the earth. Right? I guess Merlin commanded a group of fairies to make weapons once, uh, and then he died before he could tell them to stop, and so they're still going, and you can hear them clack clacking down. Uh. That's what Kirk says, at least. At the same time... They also seem to operate in a dreamlike reality where the laws of physics don't really apply, which I suppose speaks to the alien nature of these things. Uh, Kirk writes that they have an aristocratic society, yet no religion or discernment of God. But he is sure to note that they will cower or run if the name of Jesus is invoked, yeah. citing, as he often does, a passage in the Bible which says that all things will bow before the name of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Solid. Very solid. <laughs> they have books, but mostly books like and quote, like those of the Rosicrucians. Use the phrase uh, toy books, which I don't know what that means. That's interesting. Yeah. Like books that aren't real books? No, they're books. They also, he also says they have no Bibles except parts of Bibles that they need to make like charms or talismans, which I think all adds up to mean that the Fae are all magicians and just like have a ton of grimoires lying about. Like I, I think that's what he means by books like the Rosicrucians. Like they have weird esoteric texts about how things work and all this stuff. Mm. Yeah. That's the impression I got at least. Okay. Yeah. According to Kirk, the Fae folks seem to be of a spiritual level between humans and angels. Uh, They are elemental spirits with bodies and vessels made of air. They are mortal, sort of, but they all live to roughly the same age. As far as I can tell, it's not given in this book, but it's assumed to be longer than us. When the Fae die, it is until the final judgment, at least, only a sort of temporary death. They'll eventually be reborn in the same bodies they had before. But in the interim, it depends on if they were assholes or not. Oh, okay. If they were assholes, then they take a nap, basically. Mm -hmm. Uh, However, if they were found to have given proper alms, they get to spend the time between lives flying around in vessels made of light and air. Cool. Are UFOs 
fairy ghosts. Maybe. Maybe. It's kind of what it sounded like. Like this amorphous, like, air, light mm-hmm. blobs. Also, it uses the... I didn't realize that the ast- the term astral plane was so old. Yeah. Yeah, he uses, like, a lot of shit about the astral. Here's a, here's a quote. These, these she, or fairies, or the good people, it would seem to prevent the dint of their ill attempts, for the Irish used to bless all they fear harm of. God damn it. <laughs> Random words are capitalized. Harm has an E on the end of it. For the Irish used to bless all they fear harm of, and are said to be of a middle, a middle nature betwixt man and angel, as were demons thought to be of old, of intelligent, fluidious spirits, and light, changeable bodies, like those called astral. Somewhat of a nature of a condensed cloud, and best seen in twilight. These bodies be so pliable through the subtlety of the spirits that agitate them, that they can make them appear or disappear at pleasure. Some have bodies or vehicles so spongious, thin and delicate, that they are fed only by sucking into some fine spiritous liquors that pierce like pure air and oil. And the way this is written with those fucking stupid Fs, it reads, they are fed by only fucking into fame. <laughs> into fame, fine spiritous liquors. That, yeah. But doesn't that yeah. sound like descriptions of like orb-like UFOs? Uh, yeah. 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 It's wild. Kirk says that the Fae live in fear of the what he calls the final revolution, I guess, of the wheel of life and death. Okay. Um, where they will final death. Yeah, where they will stop going round and round on the wheel and remain in the same static state forever, and they don't know what that means, Mm. and they're scared of that, and that's why he says that any happiness or good naturedness the Fae show is merely that of an actor on a stage, which isn't weird, right? Like they're they have such a deep even deeper fear of the unknown than humans that like they are unable to feel real happiness. Uh It's just a fucking act, which is creepy as shit. It is. That is. Yeah. Also that feels like a a projection on Kirk's part. Well, he just, he, he's talking about what he heard from people. Oh yeah. The mountain people. And like, he, he went a searching, you know? Right. This is, this all comes not from, I guess like what does a, an extra dimensional entity need with human emotion, like happiness, you know, like, do they exist with even within the realm of emotion like that? They have some bad emotions, uh-huh. but that seems to be it. According to Kirk, they, they get jealous. Mm-hmm. They're wrathful. They're curious, mm. but not happy and not mirthful. Interesting. But then other points, he says they sing and dance and they get into fights and all this shit. Yeah. You know, it's projection on somebody's part, probably. Right. <laughs> the humans just don't get to see them when they're in their natural element. Yeah, maybe not. You know? And if they do, if you do, God help you. <laughs> yeah, they're subject to the many of the same vices and sins as us, such as envy, lying, spite, anger. But they don't swear, and they're never intemperate. And that's a fucking blessing. Yeah. <laughs> like, wow. uh, it's this whole big thing about how, you know, they don't as swear. to the question whether they sin like us, well, they do all these other things, but they don't swear. Yeah, right. that's cool. the worst awesome. of them all. Yeah. So, Jesus. As long as you don't do that, you're good. Yeah. But a ton of time in this book is spent talking about what Kirk refers to as the double man, which is similar to a doppelganger. And I guess we all have one. And it's unclear if this is if this is like an entity that changes its shape to follow us around, or if it's some weird reflection. Hmm. It's it's unclear, but he writes um some men of that exalted sight, whether by art or nature, have told me 
have told me they have seen at their meetings a double man, or the shape of some man in two places, that is, a superterranean and a subterranean inhabitant, perfectly resembling one another in all points, whom he notwithstanding could easily, could easily distinguish one from another, by some secret tokens and operations, and so go speak to the man, his neighbor and familiar, passing by the apparition or resemblance of him. Yeah, yeah, okay, so that just means that he... He doesn't say what up to the apparition. He knows that's an apparition. Yeah. 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 It's like it looks just like him, but you know it's not. Mm. Right? Like, yeah. Yeah. I was thinking about like, you know, the doppelganger. It reminds me of stories of changelings, too, of people yeah, like, yeah, yeah, looking yeah. at their kids or their loved one and thinking that's not that's right. not who I think it is. Right, right, right. Which then also makes me think of the Capgrass delusion. Yeah, which definitely. Is when people don't recognize their loved one as the person that they know. They say you've right. stolen their body or you're a replacement, you're a double. Well, uh, we'll get to that in a little bit. But what's interesting about the double man is that it's decidedly not that. Yeah. Like they're both there, mm-hmm. which is which is weird. They, and they seem intimately connected to us at the same time, completely separate. So it's like seeing a clone of yourself or seeing a clone of someone else? Seeing a clone of someone else. Both together in the same room or seeing- Sometimes. Okay. But these doppelgangers can, or these double men can act independently of the person. It's shadowing, definitely. Uh, One example is that the doppel, the double can uh, keep fucking about even after the human version is dead. Mm. And it is not a ghost. Don't know how they know it's not a ghost, but they do. Well, also, the double men are used by seers to make premonitions. Like, if you see the double of an old friend barge through your front door and then disappear, it means your old friend is going to come visit soon. Yeah. Then there's yep. all these like weird tricks that they have, like how to use these double men as divination devices. Yeah. Like there's all this weird symbolic language. Oh. It's super strange. It, oh, now that makes me think of like when people take um, like DPH or Benadryl and start tripping out or like Datura. Yeah. And they start hallucinating like their friends and family showing up to their house and like. Coming oh, yeah. into their bedroom, sitting on their bed, talking to them, having like these deep conversations and then poof, they're not there. Mm. Like, I wonder if um, like people that have have had those experiences throughout time, if their brain would look similarly to, to yeah. someone who's experiences that on like Datura or a delirium. These guys are not delirious when it happens to them. Right. They're like they can they know what they're seeing is an apparition and they can say, Hey, I'm looking at an apparition right now. You should get the fuck out of here. Like there's one. So interesting. Yeah. 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 So it's just like ingrained in their culture like that, that like that's normal to even have that thought. Yeah. It seems like from, from what I understood, like amongst the, like not, uh, urban. Right. The rural people of Scotland at this time, like that was a known thing. There were certain men of second sight, who I guess learned from other seers how to interpret the shit. It seems like an old culture or like an old tradition mm-hmm. and an old uh So do people who aren't the seers see these doubles? We'll get to that. Okay. But yeah, you ever you ever know someone who could eat as much as as much of whatever they want and not gain a pound? Yeah. That ain't no tapeworm, sister. Call that bad boy a joint eater. Ooh. Elvin Doppelganger steals half your food. Oh fuck. Yeah. <laughs> That's and that imagine just like some thing that's not you, but looks like you that just literally eating half your food. Like, so 
would it then like take your place without you even noticing, like literally sitting where you are? Maybe it is just, just like just enters like, your body somehow. Yeah, maybe. Or it's probably just a tapeworm and it's one of those things that they're attaching yeah. onto the essential oh, core of weirdness. Is, it's very creepy to me. Yeah. Um, but yeah, one of the more interesting things is how much the secret commonwealth focuses on what is wonderfully wholesome and nostalgically called the second sight. Mm-hmm. Just, I love that. Term. Yeah. Second sight. It's like most of the book is honestly about the mechanics of the second sight. Uh, and that is psychic ability. And in Kirk's investigation, he basically confines the ability to interact with the unseen world to those people gifted with the second sight. You're not going to see fairies unless you're one of them. Um, And generally, these are the seventh sons of a family. Uh, Robert Kirk, being the seventh son of a seventh son, should himself then be extraordinarily gifted with the second sight. But he makes no mention of his own experience. Where do you start counting? Like for the sevens, you know, like where does that how how far do you go back there? Oh, you mean like, oh, okay. Like yeah. seventh son, like you had like a bunch of fucking kids. Hopefully only seven and they were just all boys. Okay. I was thinking <laughs> like in terms of like a family tree. No, like, no, no, no. I was like, what? Okay. Never no, mind. this is back before birth control and, you know. Yeah, yeah. Seven. Jesus. As if that's like a fucking, not. it's not common, but it's at least common enough to, there'd be more. I mean, my mom's the youngest of seven. Seventh son of a seventh son. understand now, there's also um i forget what the fuck there's a orson scott card series yeah i know he's an asshole but he, he has written some good sci-fi it's actually quite strange that orson scott card wrote the books that orson scott card wrote because they don't agree with his mormon bullshit like at all it's quite you know, huh. it's interesting I'm, i don't know who he is ender's game oh uh speaker for the dead oh yeah. oh, oh he's yeah a You've hardcore told me mormon books yeah um who like donated like, way too much money to some anti-gay marriage uh fund or something which really sucks delightful like, but you would never it sucks it, like speaker for the dead is one of the greatest books of all time and like reading that you would never expect that of the dude who wrote that yeah like not in a million years super weird Whatever. He has another series about a seventh son back in the day in uh, early America who huh. had these like psychic powers. That's no shit. Yeah, definitely very much based on this. And uh, sorry, sorry, ladies, it's the seventh son. Women don't get the second sight. So if you think you have psychic ability, well, I'm sorry, but a dead Scotsman said you don't. Yeah. And except, you know, what he says goes. Except for all the examples given in the book of women seers, <laughs> which are only pre- always prefaced by acknowledging how rare it is. But it's like half the examples of right. in this book. Yeah. It's hilarious. So like, was there actually a belief that only men had the second sight or is that just what Robert Kirk had to write to whoever he was writing yeah. the book for, you know, because he was a reverend. He was probably writing for the clergy or for some fucking higher up in this, you know, bull, whatever bullshit yeah. feudal system they had. You know, as as Kirk says very, very often in this book, I'll leave that for you to decide. But it's an interesting implication, not the seventh son thing, but the that the fade don't just show up to whom they want to, but that there is a natural and morally neutral. You know, remember when this was written, people were getting burned from time to time. Uh-huh. Right. Yeah. But Kirk says it's a natural and morally neutral ability that allows certain people to see the subterranean creatures. According to Kirk, the fade give premonitions to those with the second sight by way of symbolic apparitions as a 
talked about earlier. One story tells of a seer who saw a wound open up in the side of his companion and blood gush out. Like there, this is when there was like, you know, warring lords or something were fighting over this stretch of land. And, uh, you know, the seer is there with some soldiers and they think they're the only ones around. And he sees like this wound open up on his friend, just like blood pouring out. He's like, dude, you got to get out of here. And the guy's like, why? What are you talking about? I was like, you, you're going to die. And like, that's ridiculous. And then like a few minutes later, they got ambushed and dude was the first one down with a spear in his side. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes a seer will see the double man of someone uh, carrying a shroud. And each time he, he'll see him in like succession multiple times over the course of however long. And each time he sees him, the shroud will move closer and closer to the double man's head. And when it reaches his head, when it's covering his head, the seer knows that the person the double man is copying is going to die very soon. Just uh, creepy. Yeah. Yeah. Super, creepy. super fucking creepy. And it's also the second sight isn't really something one can willingly decide to use. Uh, it comes on in fits and raptures. Right. Yeah. But a seer can let someone who doesn't have the second sight see the unseen for, for a brief, uh, brief period. They do this through this weird bullshit ritual that has like the seer stepping on the taking his right foot and stepping on the normie's left foot and at the same time grabbing his head and putting it over one of his shoulders. Yeah. It's this whole super complicated thing that like allows them to look through. Yeah, no, no, no. I was reading a book from the 1900s. Yeah. That we might talk about in the next part. Yeah, yeah. That mentions a guy, he's hanging out with a friend and he's like, do you see that? And the guy's like, uh, no. And then he puts his foot on the other guy's foot. And the guy's like, oh, I see it now. Weird. You just touch, you touch your foot. You just yeah. touch. And then suddenly it's like, now you're sharing the, the second sight. This is like a super, it had to be like a right foot right. or a left foot and like putting their head over your shoulder and stuff. Yeah. I'm yeah. sure it could be simpler too, though. I hope so. Yeah. Yeah. Those two guys needed to get really close for it to work. Yeah, 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 yeah. Hey, you gotta do it, you gotta do it. So here's... Um, Here's an interesting story about the second sight. A seer in Kintyre, in Scotland, sitting at the table with diverse others, suddenly did cast his head aside. You know, he just fucking like, like he's having a fit. He just throws his head to the side. Uh, the company asking him why he did it, he answered that such a friend of his, by name, then in Ireland, threatened immediately to cast a dish full of butter in his face. Huh. I'm going to throw this butter at you. Yeah, it's like one of his seer friends, a, a fellow wizard he knows. He's <laughs> like, yeah, my, my wizard buddy wanted to go throw a dish of astral butter at me. So the men wrote down the day and hour and sent to the gentleman to know the truth, which deed the gentleman declared he did at that very time, for he knew his friend was a seer and would make sport with it. The men that were present and examined the matter exactly told me this story, and with all that a seer would with all his optics perceive no other object so readily as this. At such a distance. Yeah, so they like checked up on you know it. No butter like, anywhere. <laughs> I know butter. It's one of the easiest things to transport <laughs> through the astral realm. Yeah, it's great. I that love wizards having fun, you know. I also like remind, remembering that people back in the day in the 1600s to just playing pranks on each other. Yeah. The astral plane. We should do more of that. Yes. But back to the fairies. That's what we came here for, even though the lot on the second site. Mm -hmm. Fairy houses. What do you think they're all about? Fairy houses? Yeah. I don't know, probably where they store all their stolen shit. Where where are they? Oh, in the yeah. woods. What do they look like? Tiny. I don't know why I asked you a question. They're tiny. Tiny? Okay. Wrong. Oh. Large and fair. Oh. 
meaning I guess beautiful and like yeah probably clean and uncluttered mm-hmm. and they're invisible to us with uh, vulgar eyes except for some special places Kirk refers to a place called Rackland which I don't know anything about they have fairy houses have lamps and hearth fires that burn continuously without any fuel that remind you of anything from some of our UFO lore yes it does what's that it reminds me of um, Lanulos. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. They're very energy efficient over there. Right. Yeah. Injured Colt's house. So he has all these magical appliances with no power source. Yeah. 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 It's the exact same yeah. thing. And we know about what the fairy houses look like. We know about the fairy houses because some poor unlucky mothers get snatched up and brought there to be nurses for the fae children. And in their place is left the double man, who is... Definitely a fairy doppelganger and definitely not uh, apparent personality changes due to postpartum depression. Yes. Definitely not. (laughs) Definitely. Uh, Okay. So he talks about this one woman who is, uh, she gets taken out of her, her child bed, he calls it, and a lingering image of her substituted body is left in her room, which then decayed, died, and was buried. Yeah. But the woman was only taken to fairyland to nurse the children. Once that was done, I guess they let her go this time. She goes home after two years. Her husband has remarried. Yeah. She's dead. Yeah. Then she comes in the door like, I got stolen by the fae. Uh-huh. He's like, holy shit. What was that thing that was left in your, yeah. in your room, right? But he he's convinced by many un- undeniable tokens, as he says, that she was his former wife. He, had, he let her come back, I guess kicked the new wife out, and uh, had many more children by her. And among other reports that she gave her husband that she saw, she didn't see a lot of what the fairies did in the spacious house they put her up in, they put her up in until she anointed one of her eyes with, uh, he says, a certain unction, (laughs) a like unction. Yeah. A lotion or eye drops made of, which could be Daytura. Yeah. That's where atropine and all the eye drop Uh nightshade shit comes from. Is which is interesting, and so she put the she puts the eye drops in her eyes, and then she can see all that they're doing in the house, and she starts watching them and getting familiar with how they're going about. I guess like planning her escape or something, and then the fairies realized that she was watching them, and so they blinded that eye that she put the drops in with a puff of their breath, and he says she found the place full of light without any fountain or lamp from whence it did spring. Goes on says that. There are women who are still alive who are taken away when in childbed to nurse the fairy children. A lingering, voracious image of them being left in their place, like their reflection in a mirror, which, as if it were some insatiable spirit in one assumed body, made first semblance to devour the meats that it cunningly carried by. I don't know what that means. And then left the carcass as it expired and departed thence by a natural and common death. Like it takes over their flesh. Yeah, okay. So the child and fire with food and other necessaries are set before the nurse how soon she enters, but she, she doesn't perceive any passage out, nor does she see uh, what these people do in the other rooms of the house. And when the child is, when the fairy child is done being weaned, the nurse, the human nurse either dies or is conveyed back to the real world, or she gets the choice to stay there. And if anyone thinks themselves clever and tries to get a peek at the fairy mysteries, uh, they'll smite you. That painless puff of air that renders you blind, both in vulgar sight and in second sight. Jeez. Yeah. How can women protect themselves from such a fate? You're going to need one of three things on you when you leave the house. 
One, iron. Mm. Piece of iron. Mm-hmm. Two, a Bible. <laughs> of course. Three, bread. Oh, good <laughs> to have those things anyway. Yeah, I mean, you never know. Iron and bread, I'll take. But fairy weapons are interesting. The shit that they would blind you with. The shit that they would. Yeah. One of their. Yeah. Robert Kirk just says they're 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 mostly not iron, but mostly stone, like yellow soft flint, uh, shaped like a barbed arrowhead, but flung like a dart with great force. Mm. And these arms cut by air and tools that seems beyond humane, beyond human. He writes that they have something of the nature of thunderbolt subtlety and mortally wounding the vital parts without breaking the skin. Of which wounds, and he says he's seen the same wounds in beasts and felt them with his hands. So like totally, they don't break the skin, but they just fuck shit up. Yeah. Fuck up the vital organs. And the something of the nature of thunderbolt subtlety, a yellow, yellow soft rock that's flung like a dart with great force with the nature of the thunderbolt Uh reminds me of like the, the Darrow's with their magic wands under under the caves. Right. Now people have argued that he's talking about just like, Oh, these are just like stone arrowheads they found. And they couldn't imagine that people before them could have cut stone like that. I don't know. It doesn't sound like that to me. Like maybe I'm not saying it's real. I'm just saying that like they're telling stories about magic bullshit. Yeah. You know? And now these these fairies are indeed totally connected to the land they're from. They dress and sound like the people who live in their own countries. Scottish fairies wear kilts. Irish fairies drink and cry. You know, I know how it be. Their language is not ours. It sounds like whistles and whispers and is indecipherable to the ears of mortal man. Mm-hmm. Shit like that. Um, though they can be understood if they want to. They just usually don't want to be. But they can start speaking English and they'll speak it with the same accent and stuff. Interestingly, there seems to be something about the land, about the place that connects the people to the Fae, as if the land is the intermediary, mm-hmm. right? Kirk says that were a Scotsman to travel to the New World, he would find, as his contemporaries have written, that there were no Fae in the New World. Conversely, oh, you know, not so. It's just that only those with a second sight born in the New World would be aware of them. Conversely, if some crazy dude from America went to Scotland, he would find it unenchanted, mm-hmm. right? The... Mountain people of Scotland said that there were fairy hills, these mounds all over Scotland, where the fairies believed their ancestors to be buried. They're, they're fae graves. And if anyone fucks with them, ooh, lordy, watch out. One of the chapters at the end of this book is basically Kirk defending the investigation of these matters. He writes that, obviously, of all the stories written and told about these things, of all the experiences, there's probably less than a tenth that's true. Yet, isn't it interesting that these stories and claims exist at all? And isn't that reason enough to investigate? Yeah. Which is just like, that's the exact same thing as today. And he wrote that in 1692. Yeah. You know, which is just, it's Well, it's wild. timeless, really. Uh, yeah, exactly. There's another story of um, this woman uh, is a seer, even though they're very rare. <laughs> yes. <laughs> There's, once again, people fighting over the place where she lives, as they did. She's trying to predict if the enemy's going to attack. And her method was that she makes these, like, wooden or paper crosses- and does this ritual and summons this fucking giant beast thing with wings Good and shit. Good for her. Yeah. And if it flies away without issue, they're going to be fine. But if it like attacks her and throws her to the ground, then soldiers are going to come. Yeah. Which just seems like. She's willing to take that risk. I guess so. I, I guess it must work well. Yeah. Apparently it did. Um, And like. 
There's another story of like these two. Wait, did it did it stay or did it fly away? Oh, it flew away until it stayed. Oh. Okay. Yeah, yeah, and then they attacked. Yeah. It was, yeah. It worked. Okay. Yeah. I mean, there's t- there's tons of stories like that in there. Uh, so the seers say that every element and different state of being have animals resembling those of another element. And he gives the example of fishes sometimes at sea resembling monks of late order in all their hoods and dresses. Okay. So as the... I can see it in my mind. Yeah. I don't know if he's talking about like swimming monks or if he's just talking about weird fishes. Yeah. <laughs> like he drops that like, you know, like there's fishes sometimes at sea resembling monks of late order. Right. Like what? I'm sorry. Huh? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know about that. Maybe he means like seeing hooded things in the water. Maybe. Or what appears to be hooded men yeah, like, yeah. their heads up out of the water. Yeah. I was thinking that that like that just struck me as like the like the whole Dogon thing with the uh mm. what's what's the name of that? Oanis. Mm-hmm. The fish people. Yeah. Yeah. I have to be honest with you, mermaids are like a big fear of mine. Oh, mermaids are super fucked. Like there's something really, really like scary about the idea of running into like a humanoid creature in, in the ocean. The idea of running into any creature in the ocean is terrifying. Yeah. They will fuck you up. But especially something that looks like vaguely humanoid, but it's definitely not human yeah. and like lives in the water. That's like, because you know, it's not going to look pretty. Yeah. Like it's not going to be aerial. No, no, definitely not. Merfolk are fucked. And like, they're very clearly alien. Yeah. Right now. Oh, right. So Kirk talks about the, the big trick of the second sight like the the thing it all relies upon a gaze without the eyes twinkling he writes i don't know what that means i have like i think it means to look without looking i was thinking that it was like a very physical like you know how like your eyes like dart when you try to stare at the same point for too long yeah or maybe i just have parkinson's i don't know i think it yeah it means like to to look without having expectations of what you're going to see okay okay that's interesting I was I was just sitting around like trying to hold my gaze on a single point for a while. Yeah. And getting mad at myself when I couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. But that's like a common exercise in a lot of magical texts. Yeah, that that too. Yeah. I was I was also thinking because you can look at the say a single point and and practice that to look without looking. And then suddenly what you're looking at will stop looking like what it looks like. <laughs> and, yeah. and everything will start to warp and, and get weird. Yeah. 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 And it's really hard to just like let your gaze settle on one thing without it trying to dart away. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it also says that the uh, Tabishfer or seer that uh, can like, yeah, it says that seers do have, like, if they're familiar with the fairies, they can summon them mm-hmm. and bring them with a spell to appear to himself or others when he pleases. As readily as Endor Witch to those of her kind. I don't know what that is. Uh, he tells that, he says that the fairies are always. Did you say uh, Endor Witch? Yeah. Huh. Maybe some commonly known folk tale or something. Yeah, right. I feel like there's a, there. I know there's some show called like Witches of Endor or something. Well, the Moon of Endor is also from Star Wars. Yeah. Uh, the Witch of Endor is a woman who, according to the Hebrew, Hebrew. Hebrew Bible was consulted by Saul to summon the spirit of the prophet Samuel. 
Huh. Saul wished to receive advice on defeating the Philistines in battle after prior attempts to consult God through sacred lots and other means had failed. When summoned, however, the spirit of Samuel only delivers a prophecy of doom against Saul. Oh. So the witch of Endor, I bet she was probably like burned for that too. Like you, you gave us bad news. Fuck you. <laughs> yeah. Well, because he, he says that the fairies summoned this way are always ready to go on hurtful errands. Like they'll fuck someone up for you. Yeah. But they won't usually do anything good. Nothing that helps people. They won't do that. They'll fuck people up for you. Yeah. Sure. You need but me. they won't help someone for you. Yeah. Yeah. Good to know. Um, And this particular seer says he he's not terrified by them when he calls them. But oftentimes when he sees them, it's a surprise. And that's uh, it frights him. It frights him extremely. As <laughs> frights <laughs> me. Frights. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, he's the seer said that he'd be glad to just not have the ability at all for because of the hideous spectacles seen among them as the torturing of some white earnest earnest ghostly staring Ew. what yeah he basically sees whites torturing things or being tortured elves fighting and shit uh-huh says they don't do all the harm which they apparently have the power to do oh yeah these are uh yeah, it says that they're they're not perceived to be in pain when he sees them fighting with each other and shit. They're just having uh, fun. But it's like they, two dogs fighting. No, he says that they're usually silent and sullen. Yeah. But fighting. There was sometimes he's talking about it, but like he sees terrifying shit. I think that's just an example of like when he sees yeah. things, it's usually just fucking terrifying. But they don't seem to be of strong emotion. Yeah. They're just kind of silent and sullen. Which is creepy as shit. I feel like, it, to me, a lot of the fairy phenomenon is a reflection of a person's inner psyche and, like, what they see yes. partially reflects on them. Par yeah, partially. Definitely. I think it also, like, other things contribute to, to what is seen as well. Yeah, and I, I do wonder if it is a reflection Right. Of okay. someone with like a sort of a morose quality about them. Or that there's that maybe that perhaps the paranormal element is is the thing doing the reflecting. Yeah. Right. And it's not just like hallucination. Mm hmm. Maybe none of none of what people think they see is actually there, but it's some thing that takes their thoughts and throws it back to them. Yeah. You know, they've seen into fairyland for a second. Yeah. And fairyland might just be like the goblin universe, just yeah. where nothing makes sense. And and shit. But. I don't know. So many of these things do have the quality of there being hierarchies. There being a system that we don't don't understand. And I wonder if it's. You I think know. it's also our human impulse to try and categorize things like that too. Like we we want to find order, and I think we can as long as there's patterns and as long as we have enough information to work from, we'll find we'll find the patterns. Oh, I was going to say like almost the opposite, like uh, that it's our um, that. We might want to say, like, you know, it's there's not actually a society there. It's just something reflecting it back because we have trouble conceiving of a structure that is alien to ours. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because um, so many of the stories throughout all of the lore yeah. is like, oh, no, yeah, they're real. Like, they're real as shit. Sometimes they don't act like they're real, but no, they have, like, families and stuff. It's just very different. Yeah. And, like, I, you know, if... I don't think that should be discounted just because it's silly. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? 
like I, I want to discount that because like, I don't know, it seems like there's a particular flavor of paranormal that I just, that I'm like, well, that could be real because it's weird enough. It's, it's Twin Peaksy enough. Mm-hmm. Well, I also real. think that if if part of fairyland is a reflection of the humans that perceive it, then of course fairies would have families. Yeah. Like, of course, that that would exist within their structure, too. For sure. For sure. So it's interesting because it, you know, there's so many qualities that overlap with with our world and yet are so alien as well. I'm going to use that as an excuse. If anyone ever sees me in public doing anything weird, I'll be like, that wasn't me. It was my doubleman. Yeah, that was my. Yeah. You couldn't tell. You're not a real homie. <laughs> <laughs> like most of the end is basically. It's basically this motherfucker just defending himself. Uh, yeah. The, a lot of this is basically him like defending both himself for writing about it and defending the seers and being like, they're not witches. They're good guys. They're just. Yeah. They're just some regular guys, you know. Just seeing some weird stuff, and I want to write about it. I think it's important. Yeah, and it is. And he re- uses he throws Bible quotes in there all the time to like relate. They're like, no, what I'm looking at is part of like like the they wrote about this back in the day, right? Like he's doing literally the same thing as people now looking back at right this book. Be like, see, they're talking about the same it's thing. Just like the witch, the witch of Endor. Right, exactly. It's it's making prophecies even about here, battles. Even here, hundreds of years ago. He's going, see, people were talking about this hundreds of years ago, thousands of years ago. It's the same, like, and I'm sure they were doing that thousands yeah. of years ago, too, which is just fucking, it's wild. I didn't include any of this, but like in, in the book is uh, the next part of it is a sort of commentary that Robert Kirk wrote about uh, the a, uh, a Lord's essay on how on the second site and how it works. And basically Kirk explaining why he's wrong and how the second site actually works. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting, but. Too much to include here. Yeah, not relevant. Not relevant. There's another story about like disembodied voices or UFOs. Weird spirits came to these two women who were friends mm-hmm. on the same night and told them that they'd go find buried treasure at one of the fairy hills. Probably shouldn't do that. Yeah. This time, I guess it w- worked out. So these two, they go to the fairy hill. They don't live in the same place. Mm-hmm. And they see their friend at this fairy, like, digging up this fairy hill at the same time. They, well, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? Well, weird voice. The spirit told me I'd find treasure if I dug here. Yeah. Holy shit. Me too. And so they dig up a bunch of like old Roman coins. Huh. And they just start like, and he says, and they're still in circulation to this day, I guess. Like some, some cool. weird Scotswomen dug up a bunch of treasure and then just like bosh it with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there was one of those fairy hills near where Robert Kirk lived and uh, called Dune Hill. According to his neighbors, Robert Kirk would take Regular walks to the fairy hill. He started getting a little a little obsessed with it. Mm-hmm. And he could often be found laying upon the hill with his ear to the ground, listening for fairies. Yeah. Right? Just, you know. Just as, the as old reverend do. laying on the hill with his, listening to the mm-hmm. fairies underneath the dirt. Well, on May 14th, 1692, Robert Kirk was found dead lying on the fairy hill. He was only 49. The locals said that the fairies had stolen his soul for revealing their secrets. His body was burned and his ashes were like placed in a mausoleum or somewhere for storage. But when his family went to scatter his ashes, there were no ashes. Huh. They disappeared. Ooh, the body, that's weird. As if the body that was burned wasn't real. Yeah. And shortly after, after the Reverend Kirk was found dead, 
Kirk's cousin said that an apparition of Robert Kirk appeared to him in the night and said that he wasn't actually dead, but had indeed been stolen away to Fairyland by the Fae folk because he did in fact reveal their closely guarded secrets. Oh, that's fun. Yeah, and uh, Kirk said, the apparition of Robert Kirk said that there was one last chance to return the Reverend to the land of the living. See, Kirk's wife was pregnant at the time of his death, and Kirk's apparition told his cousin that on the day of his newborn son's baptism, Robert Kirk would appear as an apparition at the baptism ceremony. It was up to another of Robert Kirk's cousin, Graham of Dutchray, to, upon the appearance of Kirk's of the Kirk apparition, take an iron dagger and throw it at his head. <laughs> Only way. Yeah. I'm going to show up as a ghost. Our other cousin has to throw a dagger at my head. Now go tell him to do that. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently, so the story goes, on the day of his son's baptism, the apparition of Robert Kirk did in fact appear. But cousin Graham was so shocked by the appearance of what seemed like a ghost that he fucked it up and forgot to throw the dagger. Oh, damn it. Yeah. And so. Damn it, cousin Graham. The Reverend Kirk was lost to fairyland forevermore. Hmm. Yeah. Too bad. Yeah, too bad. Shit. Yeah. <laughs> really blew it. I don't like that. It's it's weird. There's a lot of there's a lot of people uh, involved in that. Yeah. In that legend. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, that's fun. That's a fun yeah, one. Yeah, it is fun. So, yeah, The Secret Commonwealth. It's a super interesting book. It's a cool book that I, yeah. I didn't read. Yeah, no. So I'm, I, I'm glad you checked it out. Yeah. Dealt with all the Fs and the Ss. I'd heard it. Uh, all the sucking and fucking. All the sucking and fucking. Yeah. No, there was none of that. I was just reading about fairies. Yeah. So it goes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the Kindle version didn't have the whole Fs. That's, thing. thank God for yeah, that. For, for real, I wouldn't have done this. <laughs> <laughs> and, the, you know, there's also like a bunch of commentary in the but first, you can get commentary on the book itself. So yeah, it's a thing. I'd, I've, I've where does the King about. of Swords come in? King of Wands. King of King of Wands. King of Wands or Knight of Wands in the Thoth deck. I was kind of thinking that it was Robert Kirk just kind of trudging along and then getting got for his arrogance. Yeah, you know? trudging into the fiery unknown. Yeah, I mean the King of Wands is if it does refer to a pra- if it at least refers to a personality it is uh, arrogant like arrogance impudence. Uh, it, Impropriety, I guess. Uh, impatience, that's the word. Mm. Risk-taking. Yeah. And like, if this dude did get got by the fairies, he was <laughs> asking for it. I feel like if you're looking into this stuff and making it like you're part of your life's work, then you're going to get got by the fairies. Yeah. You're, well, you're just going to. Yeah. And I, I think it, it also relates to as the fiery aspect of fire. I know we were talking about on the nine episode about people get burnt. Uh-huh. You can get burned by the fucking paranormal. Yep. Um, and like maybe that's what happened to Robert Kirk. We don't know. Maybe. Um, maybe he just dropped dead. Maybe he dropped dead of a heart attack because he wasn't eating and he was listening for fairies all the time. Mm-hmm. Maybe he didn't have any protections and he was just going too hard at it. Right. Right. Also, it refers to Robert Kirk in that he could have very easily gotten burned at the stake for being a witch. Right? Yeah, but he didn't because he's a reverence. Well, and he had the balls to to do it mm-hmm. right like this wasn't really done he was a weirdo for doing it but he was confident in his ability to defend it correctly mm-hmm. with sources that he was like no i don't care i'm gonna i'm gonna do this yep and that's a very fiery thing to do yeah very fiery book to write especially considering the context historical context both in the witch burning and also the ever encroaching age of reason yeah there was like both sides of both sides of the main culture 
shouldn't have liked this book. Mm-hmm. Right. So yeah, I think I think the King of Wands is Robert Kirk. It's a suitable card. Yeah. Indeed. Yeah. So next week, what are we talking? Next week, I'm gonna talk a lot about this one fairy called the Gonkana. Okay. That'll be fun. Hell yeah. He's a very seductive fairy, kind of like an incubus a little bit. All right. All right. Yeah. And I also want to talk about the theosophical view of fairies. Oh, boy. Yep. Oh, I'm get into boy. some of that. Well, I can't wait for that. Yeah, I, that'll I be love fun. theosophy. We, you know, we both, <laughs> we all do. Cool. Okay. Right. Well, thank you guys for listening. Uh, we love you. We appreciate you. And uh, see you next time. Yeah. Take care. Take care.